Today on CityCast DC. September is Hunger Action Month, and as it draws to a close, we're thinking about how one in three DC residents is food insecure. I'm here with Radha Mutia from the Capital Area Food Bank to talk about who's going hungry in the district and how each of us can help. It's Thursday, September 29th, 2022. I'm lead producer Priyanka Tilve, and this is CityCast DC. Thank you for being here, Radha. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I was so surprised when I saw the report that you all put out from the Capital Area Food Bank saying that one in three Washingtonians are food insecure. What exactly does that mean to be food insecure? The definition of food insecurity as per the USDA is when an individual has a lack of consistent access to enough food for an active, healthy life. And so that's what we mean by a food insecure individual. And you're right. The findings from the Hunger Report this year highlighted this fact that about 1.2 million individuals were food insecure at one point or another in the last year. Wow. So that says that 1.2 individuals, even if just one day they didn't know when their next meal was coming, that means that they're food insecure? So yes, individuals can range from whether they've suffered from food insecurity for a few days over the course of the last year or for months over the course of the last year. That does vary. But what we have seen is that there's been a significant increase in the number of individuals who faced food insecurity this past year. Really? Okay. Why why do we think that we're trending for the worse in that area? Well, I think in order to answer that, it's really important to put a few things in context. The food bank has been here for the last 42 years, providing food to those who are in need in the greater Washington area. And so that covers all of Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia, as well as Prince George's and Montgomery counties in Maryland. Prior to the pandemic, we were seeing anywhere between 400,000 to 450,000 food insecure individuals a year. And I think that context is important because you see the dramatic jump from that number of 400,000 to 1.2 million. Now, why was that? A few key reasons. The first one, obviously, is that many industries that were affected at the start and during COVID are industries that many lower income individuals in our community uh, were employed by. And so think of the transportation sector, the retail sector, the restaurant sector, tourism. All of these had plentiful jobs prior to the pandemic across our region. But those industries were the hardest hit, the first hit, and in some ways the last to recover. So a significant increase in the number of food insecure individuals came from those sectors. The other reason we see this increase is that many of those who are food insecure are holding more than one job to be able to keep their heads above water. So as we'd seen in the survey as well, we had about 77% of individuals who were food insecure who are employed. And so partly what we're seeing in this increase and this big jump from 400,000 to 1.2 is while some of the jobs are coming back as we slowly recover from the height of COVID, people who used to hold sort of two or three jobs may not have all of those jobs back. And so in those instances, they're still not making enough money to be able to address the cost of living in this area. And what we know is that when budgets get tight, 
the food budget is the first thing to get cut. And so they end up needing extra assistance to meet their nutritional needs. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that 77% figure because I was so surprised to see that from the report, employment rates are pretty much the same in both food insecure and food secure groups. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that says about the cost of living in D.C. and the quality of jobs that are accessible here? Sometimes the public perception is that the people who are food insecure, most of them, if not all, are not working. And so what we're showing here and what we've known for a while is that's really far from the truth. The issue is that many of them are working jobs that are intermittent minimum wage jobs, and that is not enough to be able to meet the costs of rent, the costs of food, the cost of transportation, the cost of childcare, all of these types of things. And so even though they're working, if you're only making minimum wage and you're not consistently employed, that's not going to be enough to ensure that you meet all of these basic support needs. So quality of jobs is critical. Yeah. Well, I mean, tell me more about that. What would define a good quality job? A good quality job would be one that, first of all, pays a living wage, a wage that enables people to live and work productively here in our region. That's first and foremost. Second, a good quality job is one that provides some basic benefits like health care. Think about lack of sufficient food and nutrition for someone who's trying to hold down two or three minimum wage jobs at present. So a working adult, perhaps a parent who's running from one job to the other, doesn't have adequate nutrition and perhaps doesn't even have time to cook a meal to be able to provide healthy food to their family and they're right. having to rely on fast food or convenience stores. So that, again, inhibits their own productivity. It affects their health outcomes. They may suffer from chronic disease, which may keep them out of the labor market for some time. And so that has an impact as well. And the other thing here is that there's not the lack of good quality jobs in our area. There are thousands of jobs that pay a living wage, that have benefits included, but either our clients aren't as aware of them or they don't think they might be considered for them, or they don't understand what types of skill sets and certifications are necessary in order to be able to attain them. Got it. So different communities are clearly very differently impacted by this issue. And you mentioned all the different counties, all the different communities that you addressed with this report. What neighborhoods are hit the hardest and why? These numbers suggest that hunger exists in every single neighborhood, in every single zip code across our region. We certainly do see spikes in some counties versus others. Prince George's County in particular saw almost one in two experienced some level of food insecurity in the last year. We also saw communities in Fairfax County experience higher rates of food insecurity than they had prior to the pandemic. Beyond geography, there are certain client segments that were more affected versus others. People of color had a higher level of food insecurity than those who are white. People of color with children had a very high level of food insecurity, just over 60% versus white families with children. So we have really broken it up into several different categories, it allows us to be able to target and provide more tailored services across our community, but in particular to those customer segments. Okay, so there are all of these disparities clearly laid out in the research and reporting that you did. And I imagine that looking ahead, those are made even worse the longer someone deals with food insecurity. 
Based on your research, what are the long-term impacts of living this way? I'm really glad that you asked this question because while we're all so focused on the present, and of course, if someone has a good nutritious meal on the table, that's a significant issue for them in the immediate term. But the effects of food insecurity extend far beyond current effects as well. And so for a child, think about this is a child who doesn't have perhaps adequate nutrition before going to school. They're distracted. They can't concentrate as well. There may be disciplinary issues that result from that. And you can see sort of the implications be ones where, you know, they aren't able to attain the level of education that they might ordinarily have had if food were not an issue for them. And if they don't achieve that level of educational attainment, they don't get those better paying living wage jobs. And the cycle of poverty just perpetuates itself into adulthood and beyond. So what seems like, oh, just not having the ability to put food on the table has some severe and significant implications, whether it's education, whether it's health, or whether it's just personal wealth and financial stability in the long term. Right. Absolutely. So this is so much more than just missing a meal or two. And even in a broader context, it sounds like what you're saying is that this leads to a wider and wider inequality gap as well. That's right. It does. So what's really interesting about D.C. is, yes, of course, the level of food insecurity, but it's more the level of inequities that exist across these different population slash client groups. So even before the pandemic, we saw wide disparities across our region. Just one part of our region had life expectancy of about 62 years of age. You go 10 miles in a different direction and you see life expectancy shoot up to over 90 years of age. We saw discrepancies and disparities between level of employment, one part experiencing five times the level of unemployment as another. And the third one being levels of education. In some ways, and in many regards, D.C. and the surrounding greater Washington area have the highest levels of education in the country. Yet we also have a high proportion of individuals who don't complete even a high school degree. So I think what is really unique about our area is the level inequity and disparity that exists within a relatively small radius. And if we don't address this now and holistically, we run the risk of recovering from the pandemic in a manner that creates greater inequity as opposed to trying to reduce that equity gap. So in the report, you encourage the private, public and social sectors to all work together to tackle this problem. How do you propose they go about that? It is really critical for us all to be working together because we stand to contribute some assets, if you will, to the solution here to help move someone from food insecurity to greater security and stability in life in general. So let me explain that a little bit. It's going to take engagement of governments to ensure that the safety net programs like food stamps, like WIC, like Medicaid, you know, et cetera, are actually being accessed and utilized, reducing the complexity, enhancing who qualifies. All of those are important, and that role only can be played by government, given that it's government programs. So the government has a big role to play. Second, we see the private sector playing a critical role. They have jobs available and they're growing, but not enough people to fulfill those roles. And so that's when they have to partner with us in the social sector to help share what those jobs are 
and we can support the outreach to the communities who need those jobs, can suggest community colleges, four-year colleges, workforce development institutes to acquire those skill sets. And we can make it easier by saying that we'll provide you with all the food that you and your family need free of charge while you're in these programs so that individuals can go to one place, get all of the services that they need for them to really transition from the state of vulnerability to a state of greater financial sustainability. So that's just sort of one example of how public, private, and nonprofit sectors have to work together to enable this smooth transition to living wages. What's been the response like since you came out with this report? Do people in the public and private sectors seem open to this kind of collaboration? The response has been really strong. Many partners, whether they're in the food sector or broadly in economic development, in public policy, they have wanted to access this data in addition to our analysis of the findings to support their work. And that's why part of this report is in an open source data section. So there's been tremendous interest in this. And this report is being used in conversations about inclusive economic growth by the different platforms that we have in our region. So whether that's the Board of Trade that brings together leaders in our region, Connected DMV that does the same thing to look at regional growth, or the Greater Washington Partnership that has their blueprint for inclusive growth has seen a lot of benefit from our report. Hmm. Okay. And what about people like me, people who aren't part of the public or private sector explicitly? If I wanted to help try to tackle food insecurity, and I'm sure our listeners would like to as well, what can I do? Well, there's a role for all of us to play. One of the most important things that we can all do is recognize the extent of the problem. Despite its prevalence, our survey shows that food insecurity is not regarded by many people in Greater Washington as a major issue. So just having podcasts like this and sharing the word about food insecurity and how prevalent it is, uh, is really important. Now, what can be done? We urge everyone to come volunteer with us in one of our warehouses and distribution centers or at different sites across the community where we're directly providing food to those in need. The other thing individuals can do is donate. Every dollar equates to about two meals worth of food that we can provide to individuals and families. We purchase at such a large scale that we get tremendous economies from doing so, and a dollar goes very far. So individual donations are very much welcome. When food insecurity levels are this high, I imagine that there are broader implications for the rest of the community as well, even if they aren't necessarily obvious. How does this issue affect everyone living in the DMV area. This issue of food insecurity has far-reaching implications. The private sector, and for that matter, the nonprofit as well as government sector, want to be able to attract people to either stay in the greater Washington area or move to the greater Washington area. And increasingly, people want to live in a community where there is greater equity, where everyone feels like you know they're contributing to and benefiting from being a part of the society. And so there are benefits all around for us to both support this transition for those more vulnerable and to ensure that this is the type of community we all want to live in. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Radha. I appreciate it. Thank you for the conversation. And before we let you go, here's some quick news. 
First, a recent report using statistics from the Environmental Protection Agency shows that industrial facilities dumped about 94,000 pounds of toxic chemicals into Maryland's waterways. Eek. These chemicals can find their way into oysters, fish, crabs, and eventually us. In response, Maryland environmentalists want stricter waterway protections just as the Clean Water Act is turning 50 years old. Meanwhile, D.C. police officer Michael Fanone got the chance on Tuesday to confront one member of the mob that attacked him during the Capitol insurrection. 38-year-old Kyle Young was sentenced to more than seven years in prison. Fanone told him that he hopes Young suffers, and the judge called Young a one-man wrecking ball. Another man from the mob, who admitted to dragging Fanone down the Capitol steps on January 6th, is set to be sentenced next month. And lastly, the D.C. Council this week advanced a bill to let undocumented residents vote in local elections. One survey from 2016 found that 4% of the D.C. population is undocumented. This bill has been floating around the council for at least a decade, but this is the first time it will proceed to a vote before the full legislative body. That's all for today here on CityCast D.C. We've linked to the Capital Area Food Bank report in our show notes in case you want to learn more about combating food insecurity in D.C. And share this episode with your friends so we can all tackle this issue together. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.